0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a mastermind coach, a strategy and fundraising consultant, a speaker, and an author. Yes, thanks for checking out my book. It's also titled Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. As a podcast enthusiast, I hope you'll help us make our show even better. Go to PattonMcDowell.com. Click on the pop-up that you can't miss and give us five minutes of your best ideas. We'll review every single one and welcome your suggestions for topics for our episodes going forward. Now, you're going to enjoy this fantastic conversation I had with Deepa Naik, who brings great experience as the Director of Philanthropy of the Merankis Foundation, an incredibly generous family foundation serving multiple communities in the eastern United States. But what makes Deepa's insight so valuable to you as a nonprofit leader uh, is that she brings multiple experiences during her career journey to the topics we're about to discuss. She's been there. She's been a volunteer. She's been a fundraiser. She's been a board member and a consultant. And all of that combines to add even greater value to the takeaways you're going to hear from our conversation. And we focus on something that I know is on your mind, which is successfully seeking greater investment for your nonprofit. Well, Deepa breaks it down into three kind of pillar topics, if you will. Number one is how does your organization better articulate its mission and specifically the outcomes it's trying to achieve so that a funder will pay attention And number two, we talk about the importance of board engagement. How do you define that so that the funder understands you have that combination of staff, board, and volunteer uh, integration? And finally, we talk about the concept of leadership development, something that Deepa and I share a passion for. But she talks about it, again, from the funder perspective. What do you need to illustrate to your funder that will strengthen your case for support? All of this combines for a great conversation and a more reason to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 172. Just go to the new podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll find multiple resources as well as more information on Deepa and the great work she's doing through the Marancas Foundation. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Deepa Naik. Deepa, thank you for joining me on the path.
1: Of course, it's my pleasure.
0: Uh, I'm excited about this conversation, Deepa. You have remarkable experience within the nonprofit sector from different directions. Frankly, you've worked as a fundraiser. You've worked as a consultant. You work now with a significant and generous funder. And so I know the nonprofit leaders listening are going to benefit from your insights. So we'll talk more about your journey and how it affects the work you do now. but. In the work you do now, you're working with a lot of nonprofit leaders. What is the biggest challenge you see, or in some cases, mistake maybe they make when they're seeking funding?
1: Well, currently, I think the biggest challenge is the increasing need in our community. Every partner that I speak to, you know, they are still reeling from the effects of COVID. And in a lot of the sectors where we have partnerships, they had direct implications because of COVID, whether it was um, housing or education or health, quite frankly. And it's just been an interesting time to learn about challenges um, in this role that I'm in now, because everything feels so urgent, everything feels so real, and the priorities are competing at all times. So that that to me is a real challenge for our leadership today. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to just go away. I think we're going to have to really support each other to be able to move forward together as a community.
0: Yeah, so well put. And I guess do, do sometimes nonprofits make the mistake of trying to appeal to all of these priorities? I guess it's hard, I can only imagine from you as a funder, but do nonprofits... Um, make mistakes perhaps in trying to appeal to every priority that you're, you're funding or what do you see in terms of their direction?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there is that where they can be spread too thin, but there's also I think still a fear around being transparent about those challenges and trying to have everything together because we are in a funding relationship And we are just trying to communicate that we totally get it, we understand. And what we want to strive for is partnership and partnership is only built on transparency. So we want to hear about the great successes. We want to be hopeful, uh, of course, but also I think that goes hand in hand with understanding the challenges and knowing kind of the good, bad and the ugly so that we can truly be in partnership. So sometimes I'll pick up on something from the, you know, the great tool of social media, (laughs) or, uh, I'll read about something in a grant application and it will catch me off guard because it's not something that I knew about and really being that relationship driven organization. And, and me personally, that's one of my, um, one of my strength finder (laughs) aspects, um, (laughs) I just would love to engage in more dialogue and understanding and partnership around those challenges, um, and not not have it uh, reach me my ears from other uh, platforms.
0: Uh, so well put, and you and I have talked about this before, Deepa, because you are such a, a partner for the organizations which you support. I, I wonder, though, a lot of organization leaders sometimes they're intimidated, maybe by funders. And it sounds like within reason, you're open to conversation. You'd rather talk about it before someone gets to, I guess, that final proposal stage. But is that something you find amongst your fellow funders that generally there is a partnership mentality?
1: Yeah. And I think it's, it's again, it's that balancing act of being able to find the time to develop that relationship, develop that dialogue and and be able to share those challenges with some level of trust, right? So I've been in this role for about 15 months now, and I've been able to meet with or visit with um, all of our partners in the Charlotte and the New Jersey areas. And they've had to carve out, these leaders have had to carve out time to, to meet with me and have these conversations And and that was driven because I asked for it. And and I think that the hard part is to be able to have those meet and greets, those intros, those opportunities to to build a relationship um, when you have so many priorities. Uh, And I understand that, I get it, but I also want to do my best within that partnership and I can only bring things to the table if I know that there are particular challenges happening.
0: Yeah, so well put. And again, this is going to lead to even more great advice from you as to how our nonprofit leader friends can be prepared for those kind of meetings. Um and, you know, yeah. given those challenges. In fact, let me ask you that, Deepa, what when you sit down with that kind of meet and greet, particularly if it's a first-time uh conversation, what do you want from that? How do I come to that meeting best prepared?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I get that question a lot in email form before the meeting. Right. And my response generally is, there may be a couple of things that I've picked up from their application that I want to dig into. But generally, my response is, I really just want to get to know you. I want to do a a quick analysis of, of your current state and then dig into future states. So understanding those goals so that we can help organizations meet those goals, I hope. Um, and I always try to emphasize that it is going to be casual and that there's, there isn't going to be that dread that's attached to a conversation right. with our foundation. Um, and in some, in, for some of our partners, they know my background and, and for others, they have no idea. So I think it does create some stress that I try to alleviate by saying, hey, I'm new to this. This is right. this is actually right. what I'm looking for is is organizational knowledge from you and sector expertise from you uh, because because this is a new space for me and so um, you know just being really honest and frank about that uh, but also saying that this is truly my area of opportunity to build relationships and and that takes it does take that face-to-face or um, screen-to-screen attention. And we won't ask for it often, but I would really appreciate if we could do it this one time. And and we are probably on a two- to three-year loop with our partners because we have a lot of volume. Um, And so when I I say I want to create transparency and two-way communication, I really mean it. I, I really want our orgs to reach out to me, to us, um, when they need something, because we're not always going to be able to initiate.
0: So refreshing and deep. I'm, I'm encouraged by your words and and several other funders I've spoken with on this podcast. Mm-hmm. perhaps the silver lining coming out of the pandemic uh, is a, a greater interest in really building the relationship. Not all funders, I know, can do that, but you have certainly embodied that as you represent the Marancus Foundation. Talk about your journey. I alluded to that. You've had great experiences before arriving in your current position. Talk about those previous roles and how they impact the work you're doing now.
1: Absolutely. I, I feel so fortunate that I actually started on the front line of nonprofit work. I worked in substance abuse, and I also in probably more significantly worked as a domestic violence advocate, victim advocate. So really learning the stories, um, being present in those situations, uh, really experiencing one-on-one what is happening in people's lives that is very real and sometimes want change and sometimes cannot have change. Um, it makes it even more dangerous. So starting with that uh, type of work, I think, has really informed the 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 rest of my path. Um, I was fortunate enough to move from that frontline position into a development position and worked internally uh, for an organization as they were in a capital campaign to build a new domestic violence shelter. Um, And I was able to advocate for so many more of our clients um, when I was in that role and really share, again, in a one-on-one format with major donors about how this was going to be life-changing and changing trajectories for families. Um, So I find my love of major gift fundraising through that work and fortunate enough to move those skills into consulting, um, which has been the bulk of my career of consulting for nonprofits, big, small uh, across the region in helping them meet their strategic goals um, and ultimately having community, you know, larger community impact. Um, so I've been able to do strategic planning and fundraising, uh, obviously, capital campaign work, um, also some programmatic work. So it really helped me build my knowledge very, very quickly. Um, and then as I became a mom, times two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. My lifestyle changed uh, significantly at home, and so I decided to go back um, into institutional work, and that that as well as really missing that direct connection to a mission and really owning that. Um, again, I think I've already mentioned several times that I love the relationship side, and uh, the loyalty side of working for an organization and being able to to share that mission and vision. So I ended up working for a national healthcare nonprofit. And um, as I was in that role, I was fortunate enough to meet with um, Andy Mermans, who's who's now my boss, and uh, make the transition over to the foundation. So I feel like I've really come full circle in the philanthropic space.
0: Uh, it's so well put. And again, you have an understanding, frankly, of those uh, organizations and their leaders when you meet with them, because you've been there. You have certainly been in their shoes. And I've got to believe that strengthens your ability to help uh, the Morancus Family Foundation in its uh, giving. And let's talk about that, Deepa. For those that don't know about the Marancus Foundation, talk about what is the foundation, its origins and what its uh, you know purposes are.
1: Absolutely. We are a family foundation. So our board of directors is made up of uh, exclusively made up of family members. I was the first uh, staff to join, non family member staff to join the foundation. We have 32 years of giving in the greater Charlotte area, and um, we will certainly continue to do the lion's share of our giving in this community. We also support two additional geographies because of where our Uh, board members live, and one of those being Trenton, New Jersey, and the other being Atlanta, Georgia. So very, very different landscapes (laughs) with different needs. Uh, But we are consistent in what we're looking for. We're really looking for opportunities where individuals and families are given given the means, the how, the wherewithal to make life-changing decisions where they're really changing the trajectory of their lives. And so we look at affordable housing, we look at adult education and workforce development. We also look at the kind of typical K-12 um, school environment where we can infuse opportunity, opportunity for children to realize their, their passion for STEM or um, other Other things that the school day um, may not bring, but they look for in the out-of-school time. Um, Also providing a safe space for them to be in that out-of-school time, summertime. Um, In addition, we also support many basic need or crisis organizations um, so that we can try to influence that our community members have shelter um, and have food and have access to some basic medical needs um, and and hope that those organizations are then able to put them in contact with with additional organizations for a longevity around those um, support services.
0: Yeah, well, I can quickly see that those causes were among those you were passionate about before you joined, uh, when Andy Merman's uh, brought you in right so i've yeah. got to believe that has to make your work even more rewarding and fulfilling have you have you found that early on in in that case
1: absolutely i i couldn't have picked a better alignment for my background and the vision and mission of the fam- foundation I always gravitated towards health and human services um, when I was doing institutional work or when I was doing consulting work. Um, that's really it would it would make my heart beat so much faster when I was in those spaces. And now I get to do that on a daily basis. So I'm extremely fortunate.
0: Well, I'm going to encourage our listeners, of course, to check out the great work of the Marancas Foundation and what you're doing. And of course, we teased our listeners deeper with the title of this episode, in fact, Three ways a nonprofit leader can perhaps better inspire investment. Now, certainly everybody listening is not eligible for marancas funding, but you, Deepa, can give us great ideas about how we can sharpen, I think, our message to funders wherever we are. And in fact, I'll start with that. You know, if I can get behind the scenes with you as you're evaluating an organization that's a part, a potential partner. Um, one of the first things you suggested to me, Deepa, that they have to be clear in terms of defining their mission and outcomes. So can you talk about that? What exactly are you looking for as a funder in terms of an organization trying to better, I guess, articulate its mission and, in fact, their outcomes?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and absolutely, that is the first thing that we look at. Um, we're, we're obviously looking for alignment with where our mission and vision are, and if we are seeing a reflection of that in the organization's mission, um, to be clear about that mission and to make sure that that mission and mission statement as such are updated. Um, Sometimes it's just it can feel like just one of those things, but I'm telling you that funders pay attention. If you had a book and we're looking at the cover of that book, that's what we're looking at is the mission and the mission statement. Um, and so is it going to entice us to open the book and take a look inside? Um, and, and you know we have some some great green lights um, when when we when we look at those words and terminologies. and then you know for us internally, we have some red lights. So I would just really encourage if your mission statement isn't updated, if it's not relevant to the work you're doing now, please change it. Um, or add a tagline or add a vision statement something that you can change more in real time and is and is not a reflection so much of your hundred year history because that might not be relevant anymore.
0: <laughs> well I can't wait to unpack that and you know I'm going to ask you about the red light category is it I'm listening to you is it uh, too much poetry long-winded mission mm-hmm. statements that what 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 would give away my mission statement as a red light to you. So
1: we as a foundation, we have um, some pretty clear boundaries around faith-based and, and religious aspects of work. And right. sometimes, of course, with the history of the South and the great intention and work of our community, lots and lots of organizations have been founded in that way. Um, but what we're looking for now is an absolute acknowledgement of that history, but tell us how now you are inclusive of all, if you are inclusive of all. And tell us if your programs are relying on any aspects of faith. Um, we we just we want to know, especially in a crisis situation, that no person is turned away because of how they identify or who they are. Um, what faith they may have. And so that's just really important for us to understand and unpack pretty quickly with an organization.
0: That's great advice. So again, I'm uh, imagining the wheels turning in, in listeners' heads right now. Does my mission statement convey that inclusivity that you and many funders are going to expect? Now, even if we have historical references to a faith-based origin or whatnot, uh, again, You've given me two ideas, I guess, Deepa. One is make sure inclusivity is explicit, I guess, in our language. And I noticed you said that sometimes if 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 I really feel stuck with my hundred-year mission, you'd be okay almost with a tagline or a, a subtitle, if you will, that maybe helps update it or clarify it.
1: Yeah, I just gave this advice to to a nonprofit leader recently, and she might be listening. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we met with the organization and there were board members in the room and, and they were very firm and strong about that mission statement.
0: Right. statement.
1: And actually, I think that it even had a little bit of a, a, a rebrand from, from a logo perspective. Um, but we're, we're standing firm in that mission statement. And so we felt there was a lot of value in the work that they were doing. Um, but to bring it forward to, to my board, um, I was still hesitant with that very strong mission statement. And so I encouraged this ED to think about a tagline or a byline or or some pairing of a a vision statement so that we could truly understand that nobody is turned away. And it's really about what that individual is experiencing from a crisis standpoint um, that they are trying to support. And I actually asked her, I said, if you change this mission statement and took away X, Y, Z words, would it change your work? And she said, absolutely not. And I said, well, that's just something to think about. You know, we, we're we always looking for alignment, and sometimes it's it, it will work, and sometimes it won't. And others are going to pick that organization up and run with it, and we're totally fine with that. But it's it's harder to have those conversations when we can see alignment in program, but the words are the sticking point
0: makes perfect sense. Again, what a good exercise for leaders listening, whether they are staff or board, uh, to revisit that mission. Again, your reinforcement as a funder, you're looking at it. And again, I would imagine many of us in the day-to-day work of a nonprofit may have just kind of discarded the current accuracy of the mission statement. And you are certainly confirming that it is very real and relevant. I guess the other part of that, Deepa, you raised is outcomes measurement. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about that? What what are you looking for? What do you need me to demonstrate in terms of outcomes um, to help maybe uh, encourage your potential support?
1: Absolutely. And and this isn't anything new. I I know that, but we are starting to lean more into that quality and longevity of work versus being broad and having tons of volume. Um, So, how organizations are not only serving the need of individuals and families in that moment of time, but how is that just the start of that relationship? And and how are they able to continue that relationship, build on that relationship so that there is that changing of lives aspect of work that is happening, all informed by your clients and your families and your individuals but if you're if 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 the need is housing, are we meeting the need of that housing for a night, for a week, a month, years, and even if years, are we talking about safe and affordable, permanent housing, right? Um, so we're kind of starting to look at those things. And I'm actually in uh, grant evaluation mode right now, or our deadline is Monday. So um, the <laughs> applications are wow. coming hard and fast. And you know, it, it's, it's great to see that our partners are serving thousands of people. You know, they are really meeting that need, whether it's immediate or over some period of time. But there's a big part of me that wants to go back and ask, so, so what happens at six months and a year? Um, if an eviction is avoided, is it truly avoided? And, that person is in safe and affordable housing a year later, or is it delayed? Is it pushed down the road um, because the systematic and the the more connected issues are not dealt with? Um, so we're really starting to to look at that as we move forward, because again, the need is not changing; it's just growing. Right. The 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 sheer volume of of community members. Um, that are struggling with any aspects of this work um, is is just growing by the minute. And so now when an organization has a client at their door or in their office, what what can be done to really help them in a very comprehensive, deep, long-term success standpoint? Um, and we're looking at some projects in this way, too, because we know that one one organization isn't going to be able to do all of that. But building a network of partners who can come together to meet the full needs of a family or an individual um, is becoming more and more apparent and important to us.
0: Yeah, I love that. And again, I've always encouraged the, where appropriate nonprofit organizational collaboration, uh, and you know better than anybody, the kind of importance of the wraparound services Mm -hmm. that might uh, support a family. So again, to underscore that Deepa, uh, you might be impressed if if I'm serving a thousand meals, but you want me to also talk about what I'm doing to help get at the root cause of food insecurity. Is that correct? Is that kind of what you want to hear more about?
1: Yeah. Or how are you leveraging other community resources and assets to help that need? So it it doesn't have to be the particular organization that does all the things but, how is it connected, and how is this person or family going to be able to think about long-term solutions?
0: Do you want me as a nonprofit leader though I have to demonstrate long-term evaluation uh, mechanisms in other words, you want to see me surveying those families I serve six months, twelve months, two years later um again, I'm thinking if I'm a nonprofit leader, I'm like, wow, I don't know if I have <laughs> the capacity, but That's important. I guess you're going to look for it, right? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I I will say that I am starting to ask those questions. The determination of grant award is not connected to that aspect of evaluation at this time, but it is something we are keeping our eye on. And when I do see it, when I do see that longevity, um, especially around our young people, showing up more in that space, I am I'm excited by it and I am hopeful about it.
0: Is it something you'd support as part of a grant application? If I need some sort of evaluation tool or mechanism, or you kind of expect me to do that on my own um, as an organization?
1: No, well, I am open to that conversation. It goes back to that challenge part. Yeah. So if I reach out to a partner and I ask that question, they come back and say, you know what, that that has been a strategic priority for us for however many years, and we just we just don't know how to crack this knot. I would love to have a conversation about that. Um it's only going to benefit everybody. Yes. Uh, yes. It's not about us and it's not about what we want. It's really if 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 that information could be tracked, think of all the ripple effects and the benefits that we could see especially when we know there's a lot of work to be done in policy and advocacy. If we see that the the, the challenging point or the barrier to something is consistent at this timeframe or in this population for this reason, we could actually think about how to help on a bigger scale.
0: Yes. It, well, fantastic. And it's not only the right thing to do to, to truly measure progress, but it sounds like, of course, it'll sharpen your ability to uh, articulate a case for support from funders, individual, corporate, and foundations. So yeah. great advice there, Deepa. On yeah, many- I,
1: I want to be careful, though, because I don't want to pair that with organizational success. Okay. Um, what I What I want to emphasize is the things that we are looking at. Um, as we think about our impact as a foundation, um, this isn't to say that we feel like not measuring that is unsuccessful or um, has a reflection of what the organization is doing for the community. That is not that is not my intention in Good any way. Point. It is. It's really just you know, as we think about our future and and we think about our strategic movement, I'm looking more and more at those aspects of work.
0: Well, and as a partner, it, it, sometimes my long-term outcomes may not be as strong as I hope, but it sounds like you'd be sensitive to that. You want me to measure. You want me to try to get better. Yep. And you likely would help me, even if I were struggling, maybe to move the needle.
1: Yeah, I, I think of everything as a pilot. You know, let's look at it. Let's assess it. What's going well? What's not? And why? I think there's only power in that. And and really to to shift the landscape in any significant way, we're going to have to start assessing what is not working because we know we know there's plenty of things that are not working, but right to finger on it and actually make a change, that is something different.
0: Yeah, love it. That's uh, great advice. Again, in your first of three pillars, let's move <laughs> to the second one. Uh, you and I have talked about this before: uh, the concept of board engagement. So let me ask you, as a funder. What are you looking for? How can I illustrate board engagement and maybe talk about why that's important from your perspective?
1: Yeah, so this really shows up more in our application than in anywhere else. Um, I will say in the meetings and the site visits that I have, currently I have very little overlap with board members, which I have found to be interesting, Uh, really interesting uh, because it's not, what i would preach and practice as a, right. as a internal fundraiser or uh, a consultant um but on the funder side it, it's been few and far between and and for me that's that's been okay because i know the day-to-day work comes from the organizational internal staff leadership and and so i want to hear i want to hear with honesty and transparency what is going on and sometimes not having board members there may raise a comfort level around interesting.
0: that interesting
1: um but we do ask about things in our grant application um we we ask about board diversity board giving um i i think if there was one question that that i would ask and and would put a a great deal of value in is how are organizations building boards with lived experience and, and service user experience? Um, again, for many of the organizations that we support, it's that health and human services aspect. And we want to make sure everything is happening in partnership. Things are well-informed, uh, assumptions are not made. And, and, you know, the best way to do that is, is straight from the, the source. Um, and again, that's showing up in some of our youth space. Um, we were just at an organization uh, last week and they had, a, I'm not going to get the name right, but they basically had a youth advisory group. Okay. And so they were pulling in that that great knowledge and expertise um, and infusing it into into their work. And I, and I loved seeing that. I loved seeing that. Um because I, the, you know, traditionally we we look at we look for the fundraising and we look for the the great names and the great reputation, and the, a part of that is needed absolutely. But I will say, with my knowledge and what I think our community needs right now is more of the voices with the lived experience.
0: That's a fantastic example, Deepa. It strikes me because you're right. Sometimes I think there's the struggle of, of wanting to make sure I have the appropriate diversity and representation on my board. But so this organization maybe had one of those individuals serving as a, a representative, but a larger advisory board, which I guess brought more voices to the conversation.
1: Yep. Yeah. And they they made sure that they had transportation covered, food covered, childcare covered for these advisory meetings good so point. that the young people could actually engage and and not only not be distracted, but also feel like they were valued in that moment in, in time, um, that as they were speaking and giving their opinions, that it was truly valued.
0: So good, and I'm glad you said that, because again, we could have a very tokenistic Advisory board, but then not really support them or not really give them the the platform to engage because of some of those issues like childcare or whatever else they might need to really be involved. And you you alluded to the I, I guess the depth of conversations you have with staff partners. Um, but do you want to see more board members in those meetings? Again, if I'm listening, I'm thinking, all right, do I need to when I meet with a funder like you? Do you want to see my board partner? Is that Good or bad?
1: I think it really depends on on what is going on. Um, potentially, for maybe a new organization or organization that is in some st- very significant and strategic change, maybe. But for the meetings that I am asking for, generally, it's really about trying to build a relationship with the the staff leadership. Got because, it. Again, I, it's just, it's going to hopefully drive a successful partnership for our organizations and boards turnover, right? And and then, you know, terms end. Um, but I think sometimes we can establish more longevity with the staff, especially in those higher roles um, that helps us really build upon a foundation year over year over year.
0: Makes perfect sense. And again, uh, appreciate your candor in that. And again, I know that gives our listeners something to ponder as they kind of represent all the issues at their organization. Um, Your third pillar is, of course, one I'm very enthusiastic about, uh, Mm -hmm. leadership development. So talk about what you mean by leadership development in terms of the relationship you have with your partners.
1: Sure. Um, I'm actually good. Can I revisit the board development for a second? Absolutely. So two things. One, I think you can always just ask the funder if they would like board participation in meetings.
0: Because
1: I've worked, you know, we work very differently than others. Yep. Um, And secondly, when we are engaging those with lived experience and expertise, um, if they are not able to volunteer for whatever reason, a capacity reason or a resource reason, then that needs to be thoroughly thought through as well. Gotcha. Uh, does a role need to exist that is more of a expert consultant role that is informing strategy that should have compensation attached? That's very different than board engagement and. Participation. So I just wanted to be very clear
0: about that. It's a great point. So, in other words, again, you want me as a nonprofit leader just to, you're open to my creative use of inclusion there, right? And maybe it is in a different format, but I would assure you as a funder that I am indeed getting the voice of those individuals or families I'm serving. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think if we're asking for those voices to be present, we need to be really intentional if we're if we are also offering opportunities for compensation, or is it truly a person who is able to donate time? Um, That's a, it's a, it's a very heavy distinction. Um,
0: Gotcha. Yes. Great point. And I'm glad you added that to the second of your three pillars. Um, But now we'll go back to the third and, and again, the concept of leadership development, and maybe talk about what that means to you from the funder perspective. What are you looking for there?
1: Yeah, I love this question because I have seen some bright lights of leadership and leadership development that I just I see their name in my email and 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 I, it makes me very happy. And the the situations that are, are driving that happiness and excitement for me are when leaders are truly leaving their egos at the door and working towards a shared mission. If if we ask our partners, why are you doing this work? But why? But why? And really drill down, the, the answer for all of us should be the same. All right. And I see that I see some of our leaders showing up and truly being so collaborative and working together, because there's a great understanding of that shared mission. And I, I want to call out the, the fact that I, I see that. I, I truly see that, um, and it makes me very happy. And so, other, go
0: ahead. No, sorry, to interrupt you. I, I, in other words, there's a collaborative kind of concept you're lifting up there too, right? In other words, so you're saying amongst nonprofit leaders and their ability to collaborate as really a leadership trait that you look for.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and to to take on a leadership role outside of your organization. So see. we've seen this in the housing space. You know, we have two extremely significant partners in this space that are are putting their heads together and and really trying to inform strategy and movement in this shelter housing space. And and I have the utmost respect. It either one of those leaders could come to me and say Deeper, the sky is green. And I would say, <laughs> isn't it though? Right. Um, because they've just, they have truly, they're 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 not competing. They're working in partnership and collaboration. They're making the time, which I know they don't have. I sat with, I sat with one of these leaders for two hours yesterday, and I just picked her brain because she to me is the expert of what she does. And we need to pay attention to what she's doing with her within her organization. And so I, I see, I'm seeing more and more of that. And it, there's another example in our community right now in the summer summertime, out of school time space, where there are some core organizations that are coming together to say, we're serving these three schools, and you're serving those five schools, and et cetera, et cetera. But we have all of these other schools that have no program support in the summertime. And so collectively, they are now putting together a case for funding and they don't know who's gonna be in those additional schools, but they're just saying, we know there's a need in these additional schools, please help us meet those needs. And, And it's not competitive because it's truly serving the purpose of those children that don't have options in the summertime to have somewhere to go. So that to me is, is leadership is it's just putting aside so many, so many human instincts to to preserve and, and, and to think about your own organization and, and, and take that kind of to the next level and, and think about our community as a whole.
0: It's just wonderful that you lift that up because you're right. I think there's a natural and sometimes a competitive mindset. Mm-hmm. That We have as nonprofit leaders that, you know, there's a limited amount of funding. So I've got to make sure I look good and my organization looks good. But it sounds like you're open to no. I, I I will actually be impressed if, if I'm doing what's best for the community I serve. And sometimes that might be another organization is our partner or things like that. Is that uh, the kind of example that you look for and in fact, would would appreciate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, we're not looking for one organization to be all things to all people. Right. So as you're thinking about building that continuum continuum of care or comprehensive care and support and partnership, you have to think about who else is doing what in town. And even if your your work is very similar, there's only advantages to communi- communicating about that and um, in, in learning from each other, especially when, again, you think about the the climate with COVID and and how many, you know, the keywords pivots were made and hybrid (laughs) models were released and virtual programming took place. And, you know, no, no one should feel alone in those spaces. Um, Everybody went through the same thing. And and there should be a lot of learnings that can be shared and openly shared about what worked and what didn't. I mean, how great would it be if I was about to invest in some software and, and I heard from a peer in the space that that software was just not the direction to go. You know, I, that's a huge cost savings, time savings resource. and and for for funders, I, well, I can only speak for myself and, and our foundation, but you know, that's really powerful.
0: It's, it's really valuable, right? It's well, and and again, I'm just delighted that you're lifting up among many great pieces of advice, the spirit of collaboration, the spirit of strategic networking amongst leaders in uh, our sector and subsectors within. And uh, for all that, Deepa, I'm grateful for this advice. And I know our listeners are too. I I wonder, again, you have friends and colleagues in nonprofit leadership. I bet you have some pondering nonprofit leadership. Uh, (laughs) Any final advice if somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, I'm thinking about making the jump into nonprofit or nonprofit leadership in particular. Anything come to mind?
1: Yeah, I, I would say what worked for me was volunteering for an organization, a frontline volunteering opportunity. And it really let me see behind the curtain, get to know an organization from the inside out. And a side benefit to that, which I didn't really realize until it was happening to me, was that as a volunteer, you're seen as an internal constituent and when there's any type of a job or uh, position opening, you get to know first because you're a volunteer and you get those emails.
0: <laughs> Great point. So
1: it helped me tremendously. And it also let me see the culture of an organization and the leadership of an organization and make some <laughs> decisions that were very fruitful um, in that regard, you know, who to who who just wasn't a good fit um and who really was and and but I also knew why and so it kind of takes the honeymoon period and the first 90 days and you know the all that stuff off the table because you've already been there and you've already gotten to know everybody um I also just heard yesterday of a nonprofit leader attending um the funeral of one of their constituents and and a, a fellow staff person was was just sharing that memory and how powerful it was to see the CEO of, a, of an organization attending the funeral. And, and the staff person said um, in her decades of, of work experience, she had never seen a CEO um, come to, to a funeral like that before.
0: Wow. And
1: yeah. I was like knocked off my chair, you know, what, how powerful is that? And, and you think about time and you think about how valuable time is, but, that nonprofit leader showing up in that space at that time for maybe just an hour left such a mark. Huge and, impression. Right. 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 So I, th- I think there are, there are lots of little things, um, but there are also, you know, uh, I was at a Teach for America breakfast and a young person was asked about leadership and they said um, leadership is doing the right thing when no one's looking. and, I came home and told my seven-year-old that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thought provoking. And hopefully made an impression on your seven-year-old. I hope too.
1: Yeah. So it goes, you know, it goes in every which direction. And I think, you know, we're always all learning and 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 those things leave an impression. That nonprofit leader showed up at that funeral, not because, you know, they wanted to make a big splash, um, but because they were doing the right thing when nobody was looking, right?
0: Yes. Yes, well put and wonderful food for thought as we come to the finish of this great conversation, Deepa. As you know, I always seek uh, recommendations for our book list. I wonder if you might lift up a book that's been meaningful to you or you think might be of interest to our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm engaged in a great collaborative partnership right now where we are looking at supporting a K-8 School um, district school in our community, and we've been having a lot of conversations about um, the families and the children, and and what's um, what's being seen in the some of the after effects of COVID, and of course mental health, and and just the academic strain um, that is on our young people right now. And a great resource came up. It's called My Big Notebook and it's available on Amazon. Um, And it's, it's, it's a, it's literally a workbook that is made for elementary school students, where they can really learn about their emotions and um, be able to identify triggers and be able to flip through the book and write down examples of how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way. And um, there's lots of images and, and lots of, little quotes and um, free drawing space and coloring space. And it just looks like, and I'm going to test this out with my kiddo as she gets a little (laughs) bit older, Um, but it looks like a great tool for that social emotional learning that is going to be huge for, for our our littles in the, in the coming years. Um, And there's going to be an adult guide that's also produced. So any teachers or any parents that are working um, with this big notebook, um, can also uh, have that as a resource. So I'm excited to see where that goes. It's, it's very, it's very new and it's very driven by, um, what I think is going to be a need in our community. And, and we've got to, we've got to keep paying attention to what's going on with our little people. Um, they, they, they need, they need us supporting them right now.
0: More than ever. Absolutely. And, Frankly, that sounds like a workbook we adults could use sometimes too, right? <laughs> as we no as we deal with the, the, the stresses of life these days. But thank you for lifting that up, because I know we have a lot of listeners who are indeed in that uh, kind of elementary age or uh, early childhood education space. And for everything you brought, Deepa, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing through the Marancus Foundation?
1: Yeah, so we, of course, have a website, um, morancas.org, and we do list all of our partners uh, on that website. So you can kind of get a feel for who we support and um, how that lines up with the things that we've talked about today in in terms of mission and vision. Um, You can also see a little bit of information about um, determining whether we could be a potential, uh, have a potential funding partnership in the future. Um, and then, of course, you can always reach out to me, I, I hope it's come through very loud and clear that I am an open book and, and I really thrive on that relationship side and transparency side of, of um, engagement. And so I, I would be happy for, for folks to to reach out um, and ask me more questions or ask me why did you say that? Because I totally disagree. And that's, that's fine. Um, (laughs) That's
0: okay too, right? That's
1: totally fine. And I would love to hear different perspectives. Um, So uh, this has been great. And thank you so much.
0: Deepa, thank you. We will have all of this information, including ways to find out more about you and the foundation in the show notes and for everything. Thank you for joining me on the path.
1: It's been my pleasure, Patton. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Deepa as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your journey in the nonprofit sector, as well as help your organization be more effective raising funds. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about Deepa, the Marancas Foundation, and multiple resources we discussed. As always, thanks for sharing this episode. Just one other person on the path could benefit from this. And if you haven't already, you can also subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com. You will see the follow button, and that will allow you to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are most familiar. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. If you like this one, click on the episodes button also on that podcast page. And you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes, or you can search by topic or even guest name. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.